Morning, everyone. Morning to those at home. I'm just got to get organised. Take about half an hour. Just talk amongst yourselves. This is the sheet that Pastor Tracy has prepared for us. And mums and dads, you might want to get one of these too. Because here are the rules of what we're going to do. I have with me this morning some chocolates. Uh, mums and dads, the chocolates have a warning on the back says milk contains milk and soy, may contain traces of wheat, peanuts and tree nuts. If that affects your child, then I think I have an alternative in my office. We can arrange that. Here are the rules of what we're going to do. On your sheet, you have 16 pictures, which I am going to refer to as I work through this passage. And I, I hope to do it twice. So as you hear me say the word, for instance, Mary, then just simply put a line through that. Or if you hear me say angel or donkey or star. Make sense? What do you call that game? <gasps> you shouldn't know that. <clears throat> what you do when you've got all the 16 crossed out and will be not completely finished yet... When you have all 16 crossed out, I want you to stand to your feet, first one to stand to their feet, and they say in a big voice, excuse me, Pastor Darrell, Merry Christmas. <laughs> okay? That's what I want you to do. Excuse me, Pastor Darrell, Merry Christmas, which means you've got all 16 crossed out, and you will get, what's a fair number? Five chocolates? 60. 60? I don't have enough to go. Mm. <laughs> if I go 16, then I, I'll go through twice, but there won't be any left for any other anybody else. And I sort of want. Shh. We'll do it twice, maybe five, and then at the end, because kids have different ages, and so if you make a really good attempt, or if you do the colouring in on the back and that's outstanding, then I'd like to get, offer you a chocolate as well, okay? And if we run out, well, we run out. <clears throat> but if there are tears, then I do have a few little more in my office, which are very special chocolates designed for pastors, so. Okay, that's what we're doing. Cross it out, stand to your feet, and if you stand to your feet, you have to say, excuse me, Pastor Darrell, Merry Christmas. If your child is shy or reserved and, you know, has finished it but doesn't want to stand up, then mums and dads, you could do that. So mum or dad, you stand up and you say, excuse me, Pastor Darrell. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Want to practice? Yes. No, you don't. Okay, that's what we're doing. And no cheating. Tracy will examine the winners at the end to make sure everything is... Yep. Um, the other thing is, it's not when the words appear on the screen, it's when I say the words. Okay? So if I'm reading it off the screen, that doesn't count. It's got to be when I say the word. And the difficulty this morning is going to be that I have to remember to say all 16 of those words. <laughs> About 13 or 14 of them are going to be very easy, but there's one or two which do not appear in the passage. <clears throat> so creative license has been issued. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this wonderful season, for this incredible story, and for the magnificent results that come from it, even our salvation. 
help us, Lord, to look at this story afresh, to see things perhaps that we haven't seen before, to be reminded of things that we may have forgotten, but in all things to be drawn much closer to you, Lord Jesus. We ask and pray this in your name. And everybody said? That's the heading that I finally came up with for this passage because I think that's the point of what I want to say this morning. Will we do whatever God says to us? Will we do as God says? My first heading was that. Augustus, angels, shepherds. You haven't crossed anything out yet? I hope. Then I went to Augustus, Mary and Joseph, angel, angels, shepherds and us. And as I went through that, I went, all of those people are doing what God wanted. In the case of Augustus, he wasn't even aware of it. We'll talk about him in a second. So then I came back to this. Will we do what God... Are you moving there or am I? Thank you. Is that the fourth slide? Will we do what God says? First one. In those days... Notice the passage is historical. It's not once upon a time. It's not a fairy tale. This is an historical event that Luke places in time-space history for us. And he dates it for us by giving us the names of the people, the emperor and the governor at this time. In those days, Caesar Augustus, who was in fact the second Roman emperor, he followed Julius Caesar. He was Julius Caesar's favourite nephew. And Augustus was the name the Roman Senate gave to him. He was originally called Octavian. And so you might know that story about him and how he fought Mark Antony and Cleopatra and all of that. And he emerged as the emperor of the Roman Empire and he, he reigned for about 40, 41 years. And he brought incredible peace and order and structure to the Roman Empire. Lived the longest of all of the emperors. In the days, his days, he was a very organised man, a great administrator and builder. He issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. He was issuing that decree, that census, because he had two purposes. One was for taxation, to raise money, to pay for the army, to build the roads, to build the buildings and so on. But he had a second motivation and that was to count the people who were of appropriate age to join the army. He was conscripting. They were his two purposes. But of course the Jewish people were exempted from conscription of working in their army because the Jews would not fight on the Sabbath, which in terms for the army then, that rendered them completely useless because all the enemy would do would attack on the Sabbath and wipe them out. So the Jews got exemption for being conscripted to the Roman army, but they were not con- uh, exempted from taxation. <clears throat> and probably there is some indication that as we'll come to in a moment. That's the decree of Caesar was, I just want everybody counted and I want their income. I want taxes. The idea of having to leave where you are and return to your place of birth was not required by the Roman emperor. That was required by the local Jewish synagogue, uh, Sanhedrin, who wanted to, at the same time as the census, also figure out their land allotments and their heritage and everything else. So there's this historical thing going on. Before I move on, let me say this, and this is often true in our lives as well. Augustus made a decision and it unleashed a whole chain of events that would greatly impact others and he never had a clue at what he had done. 
God was achieving his purposes secretly, behind the scenes, at work. And that's what God does in our lives. We are doing things and making decisions and often we will not see the fruit of the decisions that we have made of how God used us. And it won't be till the end in glory. I'm not sure if we'll look back or not, but it'll become, we'll become aware of how God has used us. All of the decisions we make are significant and important. And God was certainly using this unbelieving person. What appeared to be, in fact, a great show of power from him actually turns out to be a demonstration of the power of God, that God sovereignly was working his purposes out. So, boys and girls, I've used the word Augustus, and in your diagrams there should be a picture of a king. That's that one. He's the emperor. He's the one in charge. Well, that'll do. Luke goes on to tell us, this was the first registration that was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. There is a problem with this verse, but there was a Quirinius and he was governor of Syria. If you translate it that way, which is how many of our English Bibles do, uh, then there is a historical anomaly because Quirinius wasn't governor of Syria until about 5, 6, 7 AD. So to translate it as this was the first registration it was taken while Quirinius was governor, messes. And that's where some New Testament scholars go. They just say, oh, Luke just made a mistake. However, there are various solutions, none of them convincing for everybody, uh, but my money is still on Luke, that what he wrote is historically accurate. I don't think he made a mistake. And you will find in some Bibles, what's written in brackets there, this census occurred before Quirinius was governor of Syria. Okay, very minor point, but I just wanted to bring you to the point, raise the issue with you that A, it's historical, and B, God's word is true, even though sometimes there are things that we can't explain yet. So the word first can also be translated before. That happens in three or four other places in our New Testament, which I can go and show you exactly the same Greek word which is translated before. So I prefer the second translation, which is this census occurred before Quirinius was governor of Syria. This first census happened way back BC, before Herod died, before 4 BC. Quirinius is governor in 5, 6 AD. And what Augustus started, what the king started with his census, would be a cycle that would go for every 14 years. In fact, we have the documents or record uh, access to some of the documents of from AD 20 all the way up to AD 270. The Romans were meticulous administrators. But the actual census, this one that involved the Lord Jesus, we don't have that. Until the second century, a man by the name of Justin Martyr said that you could actually read the second, third census that was taken in Rome in his lifetime. That's 150 years later. It's historical. And so everyone went to their own town to register. As I said before, this was because of the Roman decree. This was because of the Sanhedrin's using of the census to gather information for themselves. At either rate, it wasn't necessary for Mary to go. But so Joseph, Joseph's on your page, went up from the town of Nazareth 
in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went to register with Mary who was pledged to be married with him and she was expecting a child. Let me pause there. Joseph leaves his hometown of Nazareth and he travels because of this census. So this is about 7 BC, roughly, around there. Um, He goes to Bethlehem because that's where he's from, the house and line of David. And he takes Mary, who is now, Luke says, betrothed, pledged to be married to him. If you were here last week, then what they are, they are at the third stage of the marriage process. It's just that the marriage has not yet been consummated. And therefore, Luke says that they are still pledged to be married. Even though the marriage service has happened, she's now living with him in the house as husband and wife. It's just that the marriage hasn't been consummated. That's what Luke is referring to here when he says that. That's how you parallel the two together. How pregnant is Mary? Well, we're not told, but everybody imagined, you know, she's in her eighth, ninth month or something, and she's very well along the way. Um, How did she get there? Well, she definitely could have walked slowly. It's about 100 miles, 120 k's. Did she have a donkey? Most people had a donkey in those days. In fact, most people in their houses had a place to keep their animals, and many people, particularly if you were well-off, and for Joseph being a craftsman, a carpenter, he would have needed some means. It's like a local ute to go and pick up his timber and stuff like that. So she may have ridden a donkey. The reality is we aren't told and we don't know. So he goes with her to Bethlehem to be registered. Take couple of weeks maybe slow trip while they were there so they arrive travel in those days was very dangerous so they probably traveled in a group when they got there there was no such things as motels or hotels or public accommodation like that there was a thing called which the bible translates as inn which is not the word which is used here in this story It's the one that's used in the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember when the Good Samaritan fixed the guy up and puts him on a donkey and takes him to an inn and pays for him for a couple of days. It's a totally different word. And sometimes the Romans would call that a caravanessary. They weren't in towns. They were sort of like in the major networks along the roads at key points. And they were built like a a large square with rooms on the outside and the animals were kept on the inside and the person who owned it, all his obligation was to have straw for the animals and wood for a fire. You carried your own food, you looked after yourself. That's a caravanessary, that's an inn. That's not this one. The word that Luke uses for us here, when the time came for her to be born, she gave birth to the firstborn son, wrapped him in strips of cloth, laid him in a manger, there's a clue, It's the only clue we're given. A manger is where the animals would feed from, so it's a feeding trough. Why? Because there was no guest room available for them. That's the word. There's no room. In houses in the ancient world, in first century Israel, they would always have a guest room, small basic room to accommodate guests. They were very hospitable. And because travel was dangerous and because there were no motels or hotels, you would arrange for family or friends or friends of friends that you would stay with them, where you would be accommodated and fed and cared for as you then continued on your journey. 
The chances are very high that Joseph had relatives in Bethlehem, but when he got there, all of the rooms of all of his relatives and friends was booked, was full. There was no guest room available for them. So we don't know where he stayed. Now, here's the other remarkable thing. Have you heard the rumour that Jesus was born in a cave? Have you heard the rumour that Jesus was born in a stable? In the ancient world, there were lots of caves in Israel and where they would often build the houses either on top of a cave or, in fact, in front of a cave and the cave became like extra storage. That's where you would keep the animals, that you'd stir extra things, cupboards and furniture and things like that. And so it's quite possible to be in a house and for there to be a cave. And if the animals were kept in the cave, then that would be the stable. And so we don't know the details. We're just given this one word, a manger, to give us a clue of how Jesus was born. But often when women gave birth in the ancient world, they would go to the place where the animals were kept to give birth, where the straw was laid out on the ground because of the mess that would be made. And so it's not unusual for Mary to give birth in that context. What is unusual is to place the baby wrapped in strips of cloth, wrapped up and then wrapped around with strips and placing him in a manger. It speaks to his humble coming. When the Lord Jesus came into the world, he came at night in the midst of darkness, spent his first night in a manger, in a shed, in a barn, because there was no other room for them anywhere. And when he came, he was wrapped up and laid. The manger, in fact, may not have been made out of wood or stone. It could have been simply a hole or a, a trench dug in the ground where the animals would come and feed. If that's the case, just reflecting on it, when the Lord Jesus came into the world, he was wrapped up in a cloth and laid in a hole in the ground. When the Lord Jesus exited the world... He was wrapped up in a shroud, laid in a hole in the ground. Just thought that was interesting connection. There was no room for the Lord Jesus in anybody's house. And that often, we often pause at that, and I think appropriately so. Because his birth anticipated his death. As well as his birth anticipates his ministry. As there was no room for him when he came... So people drove him out, disowned him, asked him to leave, scoffed at him, rejected him, plotted against him. Even his loyal disciples rejected him, plotted against him, drifted, deserted, denied him, and then one of them betrayed him. Question, what kind of a welcome would we have given the Lord Jesus if we were alive then? What sort of a welcome are we giving him now? Do you have room in your life, in your place, for him? If your life was like a car, where would the Lord Jesus be in that car? Would he be in the car? Would he be in the boot? Bring him out on Sundays. Would he be in the back seat? He's in your life, but he's just a passenger. He's there to help when you need him, but he's not in charge. Or would he, in fact, be in the front seat, sitting right beside you as the navigator, being your personal guidance, 
saviour, telling you which way to go, like your automatic GPS. In 300 metres, turn right. Where is the Lord Jesus in your life and are you making room for him? Story goes on. It's a very simple story and Luke manages to tell this most magnificent of of historical events along with the resurrection. Tells the arrival in a matter of about four verses. No fanfare, just historical fact. This is what happened. This is how he came. On the night that he came also, something else appeared in the sky, didn't it? There was a star that suddenly appeared. And the wise men in the east would have seen it. It appeared and it disappeared. And those wise men, when they come, they, of course, would bring a gift. We'll talk about them next week. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were very scared. There were shepherds. It's in Bethlehem. And in the fields of Bethlehem, we know that sheep were grazed and raised for uh, offerings in in the Jewish temple, in the on the altars of the Jewish temple. So it's very likely these shepherds, who were the lowest... Shepherds didn't have a high reputation in those days. They were... Because they couldn't keep the ceremonial law, they were often on the edge of society, on the outskirts of towns and so on. People looked down upon them. They were ranked at roundabout at the same level as lepers. They were avoided. If the shepherds told you something and you repeated it and they said, where did you get that from? Oh, a shepherd told me. Then it's like, well, take that with a pinch of salt. They were unreliable, untrustworthy. That was their reputation, which was for a reason. But of course, not all of the shepherds were like that. And particularly the shepherds who grazed in the fields of Bethlehem, it was very likely they were in a different category because they had to be a better quality sheep to be presented without blemish for sacrifice in the temple. Well, these shepherds are out in the fields at night and many people jump to the conclusion, therefore it must be spring or summer. That's... Likely, and if that's the case, then Jesus wasn't born in December. It'd be more like, you know, May, June, July, back there. Not that that's important. We're not told that. But the shepherds did stay out at night, guarding their sheep, even in winter, on certain occasions. And so even the shepherds being in the field doesn't really help us in terms of dating it. They were there to protect and watch over these very special sheep. And they were going to be introduced to the ultimate Lamb of God. Then an angel of the Lord appears to them. They're sitting there, it's night time. I guess they're shut down for the day. They're just quietly talking amongst themselves and having a cup of Milo or something. And suddenly an angel appears, one angel, standing near them. That'd be freaky, wouldn't it? And in fact, the passage goes on to say that they were terrified. And the angel will speak in a moment and say, don't be afraid. I bring you news, uh, good news of great joy. <clears throat> The angel appears to the lowest rank in human society, sent by God to communicate, demonstrating that God is concerned for all people, which is exactly what the message the angel gives. The angel said to them, don't be afraid, I bring you good news. It'll be for great joy for all people. Nobody is exempted, everybody is included. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Christ, and he is the Lord. The Lord. Excuse me, Pastor Darrell. 
Excuse me, Pastor Daryl. Ha Come and get your chocolates. No, you only get it if you if you're first. Let's keep going. Help yourself to five chocolates each, I guess. Did you help each other? The angel says to them, this will be a sign for you. This is how you're going to be able to find the baby. He's in a manger. Now, they would have thought, okay, he's in some place where the animals are. So whether they knocked on doors of different houses and went to the different places, not told, but eventually we will see that they go off. Before they get to go, not only was there one angel, there was a group of angels. Have you already crossed that one out? There's a group of angels. I think there's been a rigging going on in this. (laughs) And at Christmas, deception at Christmas. Suddenly there is a... Hello. Tough luck, we've done it. No, there is for my granddaughter. Mark, you can have third prize. You get three. That's money. Where's Mark? No, Franklin. Oh, come on, they're standards. You can't. Oh. Oh, all right, Franklin. You come and have one. No, see ya. Thank you, Pastor Darrell. You're more than welcome. It's Mark Andrews, if you haven't met Mark, everybody. Suddenly there are a whole lot of angels who were there and they're singing. Look at what they're singing. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst those on whom his favour rests. Heaven and earth joined together at Christmas. God coming into our world to reconcile us to himself, bringing glory to himself and peace to us. It's not peace for, there'll be no peace in the world until Jesus reigns. Even though Augustus did the census, built the roads, had an army, and lived for decades among this thing called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. There was peace in the world, but the peace was freedom from war, not peace in the heart, not peace with God, which is the most important. Yep. Yeah, come and help yourself to chocolate. Why not? Change the rules. We'll make this up as we go. Well done, sweetheart. You can have a couple. Good girl. When the angels had left and gone back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, watch this. Watch what they do, because what they do is what we should do. The angels have delivered a message. They've heard it. What's their response? Wow. Did you hear that? Isn't that exciting? Then they encourage each other to check it out. Let's go and see this thing that the Lord has made known to us. That's what we should do. When you hear the word of God, respond to it, but check it out. And when it's true, do what they did. So they hurried off, and just as God always keeps his word, so they found Mary and Joseph and the baby 
and the baby was lying in the manger. Um, when they had seen him, they spread the word. They told others of what God had said to them, what they had discovered for themselves, and they went off. They would have told Mary and Joseph exactly what the angel had said to them. This is the Saviour. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. He's going to bring peace on earth to those who have God's favour. So they went around spreading the news. I've always imagined that because it's night time. And they found this house. It's like maybe it's late in the evening and it's, you know, sun-up's coming or something. But I imagine them shouting it out or knocking on doors and telling them the story. I don't know, that's just my imagination. Maybe they just went back to the fields. And for the next few days or weeks, Mary and Joseph are still in Bethlehem, they continue to tell the story of their experience of what had happened. So should we. And everybody who heard it, look at these three different responses. Some people were amazed, verse 18. They wondered about it. Isn't that incredible? Wow. Stopped and thought about it. Didn't penetrate, didn't change, didn't check it out. Just amazed by it. Yeah, that's an incredible story. Some, like Mary, treasured these things, she remembered them, and she pondered them. She's trying to put this together with that. She's trying to join up the dots to figure it out. She's been told pretty clearly from our perspective the truth. But you could imagine the struggle that she must have had about this is God in a babe. How does that happen? She believes and she's treasuring these things in her heart, so ought to we. And then flowing out of that is what the shepherds did. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for the things that they had heard and seen, which was just like God had told them that it would be. It's not enough to hear about the Lord Jesus, to peek into the manger and say, oh, nice, little baby, lovely. The truth is Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he's got to be born in us. Or we'll be lost eternally. The Christ born in the world has to be born, become resident in our lives and in our heart. Kent Hughes says he really did come into the world, which means he can really come into our lives as well. For those of you who already know the Lord Jesus, do what the shepherds did. Encourage one another to check out the scriptures. Do it quickly, do it immediately, follow it through, respond and tell others. If God can use shepherds, which is part, I think, of the story of why Luke tells us, if God can use shepherds, God can use you. God did use angels, and he still can, but he chooses to use us. Ball's in our court to be able to go and tell others this wonderful story. Will we do what God says to us? Mary and Joseph did. The angels did. The shepherds did. Will we? It's worth pausing and pondering. Let me just summarise all of this. The Christmas story is about God's gift to all of us. It was an historical event. Augustus the king and Quirinius are named for us and involved real people. Mary, Joseph, shepherds. It happened in a real place, Bethlehem. It had real things like the manger, the room where there was no room for them, no vacancy. It had sheep 
out in the fields. And whilst there was no mention of a donkey, it's probably the case that she rode the donkey. It's about an angel who comes with an incredible message of good news, who says to the shepherds, don't be afraid, Jesus is coming. It's then the angels, the group, the multitude, not 15, how many? Don't know, 150, 1,500? A multitude of angels singing, peace on earth, glory to God. The star would have appeared that night as well, which signaled for the wise men to come from the east, and they called the child Jesus. Now, everybody should have crossed out all 12, all 16 of those things, because they just used all 16 words right then. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you're a God who clearly loves us, that you've never taken your eyes off us. And even though we stray, and even though sometimes, oftentimes we are slow to respond and to get what you're saying to us and wanting us to do, nonetheless, nonetheless you are patient with us and you work with us. Lord, may this Christmas time be significant for each of us. May we reconnect with you, having you in the front seat of our lives, directing our steps. And Lord, like the angels, like Mary and Joseph, like the shepherds, can we also be people who do exactly what you want us to do, to be committed to doing your will. We thank you for sending Jesus. Forgive us for our sins. Come into our life and take control. May your will be done in us and through us. And may your name be glorified and praised through us. We ask and pray this in his very precious and strong name, the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.